Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to share our podcast has been nominated in Boise Weekly's annual Best of Boise contest. And while it's an honor to be nominated, I have to admit it would be even more fun to win. If we've helped you connect to the city you love, go to the link in the show notes to vote for us by May 23rd. Thanks, Boise. Today on CityCast Boise, you wouldn't know it from the issues Idaho legislatures prioritized this session, but our state has the worst funded schools in the country. Becca Saransky from the Idaho Statesman is here to give us the rundown on why our schools are falling apart, despite our state's huge surplus. It's Monday, May 1st. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise is talking about. Hi, Becca. Welcome to CityCast Boise. Hi, thank you for having me. So take us to the town of Bonners Ferry in Boundary County, to Valley View Elementary in North Idaho, where your story was centered. What did you see and hear when you first visited the school? So when we first arrived at Valley View Elementary, it was a Monday afternoon. We were greeted by the head of maintenance there, who handed us this written document of eight or nine pages that listed all of the issues in the school. They included cracks in the wall, uh, leaks coming through the ceiling, issues with bathrooms, safety issues. And he really walked us through and showed us what all of these issues look like. We saw kindergarten students who their building is across the street from the main campus. And the whole school is made up of six buildings. And they were having to walk back and forth across the street multiple times a day to get to breakfast and lunch or their elective classes like the library or gym. Eight or nine pages is so, that's so many issues. And I read in your story, like they're having issues with their septic system, you know, with their HVAC stuff. It's cold in the winter inside even and hot in the, the summer. So like lots and lots of issues. And they have, like you said, like this very limited budget to try and build extra space for these extra kids. And this must play out on a daily basis for these kids. Yeah. Um, when we were there, I mean, it was it was cold and we saw a lot of kids who kept their jackets on and their snow pants on during the day. We heard from teachers who said the heating is just, you know, inefficient and it's inconsistent. So sometimes they have to either run it at full blast because the walls aren't insulated at all. And in the minute they turn it off, it gets, you know, immediately really cold again. Um, so I think it's pretty difficult for them. And it's the same we heard in the summer where it just gets up to, you know, 85 degrees in the classroom by 10 a.m. 85. I mean, I can't imagine trying to teach a classroom full of 80 kids in 85 degrees, you know, that are just sweating and, and fanning themselves and trying to just survive that. Seems like a very harsh learning condition. Yeah. And that's what we heard from teachers, too. It's just kind of a struggle to get kids to pay attention when they're just really uncomfortable. So there are these two years that were very important in the story uh, of schools falling apart, 1993 and 2005. Tell me what happened in both of those years and how they connect to now. Yeah, so 1993 was the last year that a statewide school facilities assessment was done. They went into every school building and assessed its condition. 
Then the last time that was followed up upon was in 1999 when officials looked at these the 71 buildings that were in the worst condition and they found that the 53 that were still being used were even worse condition in 1999. And then in 2005, the Supreme Court had essentially ruled that the legislature needed to do something to adequately fund school facilities. They said the current system was not constitutional, but they basically left it up to lawmakers. They said they couldn't prescribe specific solutions and it was lawmakers' responsibility to act. And did they act? Did they do something? Like what what ended up happening? So lawmakers did make some changes, you know, over the course of the past few decades. They, you know, created this program where if school districts had, you know, some kind of safety hazard, they could apply for a state loan. Um, and that would essentially require the district to run another bond. And then if that failed, the state could impose a tax on the taxpayers. Um, and that's only been used twice in state history. Um, and then they did, you know, a few other things to help districts who do pass bonds to pay off interest. But what we've heard from superintendents is that it really wasn't enough to really solve the issue. And then as recently as last year, the Office of Performance Evaluations released a report that said there were over $800 million in school you know, maintenance needs and that that figure was likely low. So bond elections have become so essential for rural districts especially, but they're also like a really challenging thing to pass in counties like Boundary County. So what's going on? How did bonds become so important but also so difficult to push through? Bonds have been pretty essential, I guess, in the state's history. In Idaho, the state requires that two-thirds of voters approve a bond for it to pass. And I think, you know, the reason it was put into the Constitution, and the reason that lawmakers defend it today is that it's a protection for the property taxpayer, that uh, districts need to get support from, you know, 66.67% of voters in order to tax property taxpayers. Um, and in Boundary County, the first bond they ran, it received a majority, 54%. In most states across the country, they only need that simple majority, 50%, to pass a bond. Yeah, that sounds like it would be very difficult, especially, you know, uh, in a state right now, like where where we're having a hard time agreeing on just about anything. So but Idaho really does have the worst funded schools in the country. But here in Boise, we're not really feeling that as much because we have a well-funded public school district, at least compared to what's going on in Boundary County. Do the folks in that district, do they feel like the rest of the state has sort of forgotten them? Yeah, I think that's definitely an issue in you know, having some inequity between districts, Boise has a lot more taxpayers and, you know, each individual person doesn't bear as much of a burden as they would in Boundary County. You know, we heard from administrators and school board members and teachers in that district who have seen the schools in Boise and wondered why they can't have the same types of facilities. And I think that's really difficult. And I think also for rural districts that don't have as many resources, they don't have as much time to devote to, you know, marketing this bond and educating taxpayers about it and going out into the community. And I think that's, you know, the Boise School District is much bigger and has much more resources. So I think they're better able to do that in some cases. Yeah, I was wondering that, like, is this story in Boundary County, like a story about the people, uh, 
a community divided, you know, among themselves that some really want this funding and others don't see it, public education as a priority? Yeah, I think that's very accurate. And I think that the school board members and members of the administration did work really hard to try and get people to visit Valley View Elementary, to give them tours, to talk about why they felt they needed a new school. Um, But they said a lot of people didn't really take advantage of that. They, you know, only had a handful of people who came to their information sessions and it was hard to get more people on board. And then, you know, I think there's part of their community is older and might not have kids in school. um, So they might not feel like it's their responsibility or taxpayers feel like they can't afford this with inflation and, you know, struggling with other costs. Um, And then there's, you know, a community that homeschools or, you know, a a separate community that doesn't use the public schools. So I think it's people have a lot of different reasons for not supporting the bond. um, But I think it's really difficult in that community to get, you know, that two thirds supermajority. Yeah, this this whole thing seems really inequitable, like there's this rural urban divide and and it's so stark. How did this come about? How did how did it become so stark in Idaho education, at least in Boundary County? Um, I think that Boundary County has really always struggled to pass bonds and to get funding for their facilities back since, you know, the late 80s. They had tried to pass a bond several times to get a new high school built. Um, They had to resort temporarily to double shifting. So some students would go to school in the morning, some students would go to school in the afternoon because they were so overcrowded and they couldn't pass a bond to get a new school built. Um, So I think in Boundary County and in a lot of these rural areas, this isn't necessarily a new issue, um, but it's something that they're having to continue to deal with. And as the years go on, you know, their buildings are in worse and worse condition and they're not able to repair or replace them. I'm wondering what this looks like for the community. It seems like you would be just bleeding young families, you know, like, is that true? Are, are they leaving? Are they losing a lot of young families? Because it seems like young adults would feel like I, I grew up here. I'm not going to raise my kids here. Yeah, I think it's a combination. I think a lot of people feel, you know, really close to the community. They love Bonners Ferry and Boundary County, and they want to make it better. They don't want to leave. Um, And then I think there are also some people who, you know, especially kids who are growing up now who say, you know, I don't want to live here because of what's going on. A lot of the teachers that we talked to said, you know, they want to stay. They want to keep fighting for their schools. What's the overall feeling like at this school? I, I would imagine it kind of maybe feels a little hopeless. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of feeling just left behind. Um, a lot of teachers, I think, feel you know sad for their students. They really do the best they can. They decorate the walls. They, you know, we sat in on a few classrooms where they are trying to make learning fun. They play games and have hopscotch in their rooms. But I think that they and the school board and administrators kind of feel hopeless about what's happening at Valley View and how this will and is impacting students. So what's next for your reporting on this uh, story? Uh, are there more schools that tell a similar tale uh, of neglect and, and needing funds like this? Yes. Yeah, so I've talked to a bunch of superintendents around the state and a lot of them have identified, you know, a pretty, a pretty similar tale where they have varying issues with their schools, whether that's 
the bathrooms or um, I think a lot of them have identified accessibility issues um, or, you know, insulation, no AC. So for our reporting, we want to hear more from communities across the state. So we've put out kind of a call out where we're asking people across the state, you know, teachers, students, community members, anyone who has experience with the schools uh, to fill it out and tell us about the conditions in their schools and how it's impacting them. Well, we'll include a link to that call out in our show notes so that people can um, get you some answers. And we are really interested to see uh, where this story goes. As you know, a, a mom with three kids in the, the Idaho school system, really, really appreciate you doing such a deep dive on all of this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Speaking of school funding, KTVB is reporting that West Data School District voters will have the opportunity next month to decide whether or not to approve a $500 million plant facilities levy that will address renovation, new construction, and repairs. Be sure to make your plan to vote on Tuesday, May 16th. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Leave us a review and subscribe to our Hey Boise newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with a Hater's Guide to Boise, part two. Bye.